Welcome to episode 12 of the Passionate Purpose Podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward From 50, and your host for today's show. This week, I'm speaking with a grandmother who is called back into full-time parenting duty to care for her two young granddaughters after their parents both became addicted to drugs and were unable to care for themselves and their children. Michelle Wiedenbenner had two biological children, a boy and a girl, and when her children were in their teens, Michelle and her husband Dave adopted another child who had been orphaned in Russia. In order to care for the toddler, Michelle gave up her interior design work to become a stay-at-home mom. Closing in on 50 and still raising a young child, Michelle took up writing to keep her mind sharp. She took writing courses and attended conferences to meet other writers. When Michelle was nearly 60, she and her husband became guardians of their two elementary age granddaughters when their parents became homeless as an addiction took a tremendous toll on their lives. Michelle's son and daughter-in-law advanced from drinking to opioids to heroin and finally to methamphetamines. They became emaciated and Michelle thought for sure they would die. Fortunately, the parents were able to overcome the addiction and achieve sobriety so the family could be reunited. But the experience was eye-opening for Michelle, who took to writing about the situation to help others who are going through similar problems. She has written several non-fiction books, serious novels, and even children's stories. In fact, Michelle co-authored a book with her seven-year-old granddaughter. That book is designed to address the problem of children being separated from their parents, but in a kid-friendly format. One of the biggest contributions Michelle has made was in founding the Almighty Moms Group to create a support community for people who are dealing with family addiction problems. She also developed a program for moms of addicted loved ones who want to heal from the shame, blame, and chaos so they are in a better position to help their children and others. To learn how she helps moms change havoc into hope, and how she wants to empower a million moms of addicted loved ones to get into recovery by 2025, please welcome author and coach Michelle Wiedenbenner to the show. Thank you for joining me today, Michelle. I really appreciate the time. Tell me a little bit about yourself and where you are from and where you are now. Hi, Greg. It's my pleasure to be here. So I grew up in the burbs of Detroit um, and had five brothers and never had a sister uh, I used to I used to cry every time my mom would bring home a new baby. I thought that she just liked boys better than girls because I just didn't understand. But um, it, it became this uh, great thing to have. I'm really close to all my brothers. And I tell people as an author, it really helped me um, build a backbone for negative book reviews. Because <laughs> that- they, they were pretty tough on me. Mm-hmm. Super for five brothers, my goodness! I, but I bet you had a lot of protection then, or unless you were older than than most of them. Uh, yeah, I, I had one brother who was older and one who was just a year younger. So the three of us were pretty close, um, you know, as far as like friends in school. But my older brother never wanted me to date any of his friends, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was pretty protective that way. So <laughs> he knew yeah. his friends really well, I guess. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, he did. <laughs> Super. So what did you do for a living before you turned? So, yeah, good question. Wow, what did I do? So my husband traveled all the time. And every time I 
would take a job, I felt like, oh my goodness, I just couldn't do everything because I was um, the mom and everything else. So I stayed at home and for a while I made draperies for people and did some interior design. But um, when we adopted our youngest uh, from Russia, she was developmentally delayed. She's 26 now, but I thought, you know what? I didn't, I didn't adopt her to stay at work. So I'm going to stay home because there was that whole bonding thing. And I'm going to write, I'm going to write for magazines. Like how hard could that be? Right. That's what I was thinking. It was really hard. So, um, but that kind of launched me into just a world of writing and it became competitive. Like, oh my goodness, I can do this. I know I could do this. So I would take courses and I would, um, you know, go to writers conferences and meet people. And so it just kind of launched me into that uh, career, if you will, or that desire. And um, I remember even in high school, I took this film and novel course and I always saw things like a movie and then I would write it. And so that became, you know, just a passion. And so I, I went off to publish like nine books and uh, each time they were different genres, which is not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to stick with one genre. But for me, it was always about the message. Um, and one of the books was about re reactive attachment disorder in post-institutionalized children. It was a novel, but it was like to bring awareness to that. And then another series was a whole children's book, chapter book series. Um, at the time I created that, I had my granddaughters living with us because their mom and dad were really sick in addiction. And so we would create these stories together as kind of a coping mechanism. And that's how Emily Claire, the Eclair series was created by my seven-year-old granddaughter at the time. She's 16 now. But anyway, so uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I did. But actually, um, I jumped ahead because that was, I didn't start that till after I was 50. Oh, you did? Okay, and, super. Yeah, I, I didn't start writing until after I was 50. Um, I, I don't know. I just, my parents used to say, oh, you're a good writer. And you know how you think, what do they know? They're just my parents. They just love me. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know what? I need to research this a little. So I started, you know, that kind of inspired me to think that maybe I did have what it took. Sure. How many kids do you have? So we have two, um, we had two children, biological children, and always wanted more. And it just wasn't happening. And I said, I feel so called to adopt. And my husband was like, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just wouldn't go away. It just wasn't something that, you know, I would interview my friends at 40 and say, are you done having children? Like, how do you know? And I just never had that. So um, anyway, we, like I said, we went to Russia to adopt Olivia and she was then 15 years younger than our son and 11 years younger than our, our daughter, the, the next. So there's a huge span in there. Um, and let me tell you, she was such a gift. She still is. She, that little peanut, she only weighs like, I don't know, 95 pounds and she's five foot. She was always tiny. And I used to think it was because, you know, she lived in an orphanage for two years, but I think she just 
you know, God just made her that way. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, yeah, okay. three children. And so when you started writing your book, they're all fiction stories. They're not nonfiction, right? So you take yeah. complex issues, but you fictionalize them to make them a little bit easier to read and to draw people more into the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was one of these Disney fans who love family type of movies. So except for my geocaching thriller, that's really not for kids, but um, the other ones were more family friendly inspired. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just really, really enjoyed that, but it wasn't until like my son and daughter-in-law were like in and out of addiction. They, they would seem to rally and then they would fall again and seem to rally and fall again. And I just at one time said, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't, first you're angry. Like I was angry because I thought my granddaughters were being neglected. Um, but then I was sad. Like I would grieve for the loss of dreams I had for them. And I started researching addiction. And so my first nonfiction book was to help moms of addicted loved ones, because as I was on my journey, I realized how little I knew and how I used to think, well, it's his problem. It's their problem. It's not my problem. But addiction becomes a family disease. And so I had to go into my own recovery to learn how to connect with them because the the anecdote to addiction is not, you know, just detaching and removing yourself from that person or those people. It's from connecting and finding a way to do that. But I didn't know how. And so I created this little seven-step book for moms to just find support. And then I built the Facebook page around that. So moms who download the book can join the Facebook group. And every day they keep me going because um, they just say, oh my gosh, I thought I was alone. Everybody here knows and understands what I feel. Um, You know, communities heal people. And so that's, um, that's just been amazing, profound for me. And it's kind of steered me away from more of my fiction um, into kind of this new and different space to help moms of addicted loved ones. So you created an entire online community around a pain point that you had experienced and you discovered a, that you weren't alone and all the research that you uncovered to try and help yourself deal with that. You turned into kind of another book to help other people. Yeah. And I'm writing another one. So then what happened was I created this paid subscription. So moms who wanted to work more on their uh, recovery accountability, they came into this group where we have weekly support and Bible studies, um, coaching, and we decided to write kind of a book together. And they have shared openly some of their struggles in this book that we hope to publish on Mother's Day of 2022. It's in the, it, in the editing stage right now. Okay. And what's it going to be about? So this is called Unhackable Moms of Addicted Loved Ones, oh. Closing closing the Gap Between Havoc and Hope. And it is co-branded with Kiri Oberbrunner, who wrote the Unhackable book. Mm-hmm. And this 
this one is just specifically for, you know, moms in this, in this space who really want to heal, but it's a 30 day program. And so it takes them through a 30 day healing process, which eventually there'll be a course where mom, moms want to go through it themselves. They'll be able to do that. But also if they want to become unhackable coaches, they can also implement these programs in their communities. So you're encouraging people not only to do recover, but once they've recovered to go out and help other people. Oh my goodness. So that, yes, that, thank you. That is like the number one thing that just lights my soul on fire. My boom, my goal is to empower 1 million moms of addicted loved ones to get into recovery by 2025. And the reason is I can't fight this by myself. So I thought, you know, I, I, who else to fight is like mama bears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a million of them would just really help our prisons and jails. It would help recovery options. There's so many different places that need help. Um, you know, mental health resources, just the whole landscape of how to communicate, how to just how to bridge that gap with these hurting people. Mm-hmm. One, mil- so, one million in three years. My goodness, yeah. that's ambitious. <laughs> so, so yes, it is. But I'm writing the book, and then in 2022, I'm going to start writing the screenplay. And I've been working with some screenplay types of coaches to help me visualize that and and put that into writing. And it'll be based on like addiction from a mom's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope to, I hope that there will be inspiration from my almighty mom tribe, the tribe that I'm working with now, the subscription that these, these women, um, they're, they're, they've just taught me so much. I, you know, I created this environment, but I'm the one who's learning from them. They're just such amazing people. The almighty mom tribe. I love the name. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's inspirational in its, in and of itself. I can imagine that, you know, people can, can really find some hope and healing out of that process. So you said you had always known you were a good writer, right? I didn't think I was, No, but when I started taking classes and you know how your, your manuscripts come back and everything's in red. Oh my goodness. It was horrific. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, but it also, I think I'm a little competitive because it also spurred me to be like, okay, I can do better than that, you know? And so I, I developed this and, and I'm, I'm just, a, I love to learn. And so it's always about, okay, I got to learn this better. I have to do this better. I have to communicate this more effectively. And people connect when you can tell stories, right. they can relate. And it's an art. It's just such an art. It's very, very hard to argue with somebody on any position when they're telling a story about it, you know, because it's something you've experienced. So it's hard to argue with people that, no, 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 that's not wrong. It's like, what, what, what? This is what I lived. This is my story. There's no right or wrong to it. That's neat. Yeah. Good point. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So you started writing early on because you had a a daughter who needed, you adopted a daughter who needed some special care and attention and you worked for magazines and things like that. So you've been developing your writing skills all along. 
throughout much of your life. And then after you turn 50, that's when this idea to create the Almighty Moms Tribe and to start helping moms, mothers especially, through addiction and things like that. I'd say probably from the time from 50 to 60, I just learned the publishing industry and wrote a lot of books. Um, It wasn't until I was late 50s, early 60s that um, I realized we ended up with guardianship of our granddaughters. And it was, it was tough. It was really tough because who wants to, who thinks they're going to parent kids again? Right. Um, And they were, let's see, first grade and sixth grade, somewhere around there. Um, They're five years apart. So, and they had been in and out of our lives for years, but never like guardianship because our son and daughter-in-law went through opioids to heroin to meth. And three years ago, they were homeless, emaciated, and we didn't think they were going to live. We really didn't. But no, they're three years three years of February sober. Oh, that's great. And the girls are back reunited with them. If somebody would have told me that was going to happen four years ago, I would have said they were crazy, but I've seen it. It can happen. And, um, I, I'd like to think that it was that I helped facilitate that. I, I don't believe it. I, I think that understanding addiction better and being able to connect better helps some. Um, we got them to recovery to a place where they stayed for a whole year. And I think that did, they, that place stayed, saved their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they're very, you know, they're very appreciative. It's not perfect. They're not using uh, uh, any controlled substances, but they're still, they're still, you know, it's, it's tough. It's It's just a battle that they have to face every day. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So in order to do this, did that require any special training on your part? Did you have to do any classes (laughs) or what did you do? Oh my goodness. So I wrote this story the other day about, you know, I told you when, when the kids were little, I always wanted more children. So I talked Dave, my husband into becoming a foster parent. And we went through all these classes, right? All these foster parenting classes. And we got little Christopher. He was five and a half pounds and failure to thrive. Our daughter was a year and a half and our son was only like four. But I look back at that now. Christopher ended up being adopted by a great family. He's he's married, has children. It was a great story. But my point is this. Did I have any training? That foster parenting those those classes, what we went through, I believe, really helped us in reuniting our granddaughters with their parents. Because you, I knew as long as I was parenting my granddaughters that I wasn't the mom. It didn't matter what I did. I was never going to be the mom. I was never, my husband was never going to be the dad. That the best case scenario was for them to be reunited as a whole family. Otherwise, there's holes in their lives, right? And we can't fill those holes. Mm -hmm. So 
I always kept my eyes on that prize. And so going through those foster parenting classes really helped me learn how to reunite and how to always speak well about their parents in front of them, even though, even though there were times when it was really hard, right? And they would cry and the grand girls went through trauma counseling and they would say, I'm never living with them again. And, you know, so, so that education helped, but I do take classes anytime men. Um, I love studying um, change, motivation for change, motivational interviewing skills. I lead discussions on that in my groups because I want moms to know how to better communicate with their children. It's what it's not confrontation, but collaboration mm-hmm. with our children, even when they're in the throes of addiction. We're always we always need to seek collaboration. Like how can we collaborate on helping them be motivated to change? We can't make them change, but mm-hmm. we can we can educate ourselves. So I I do. I take a lot of classes. That's a very good point that you made earlier about not talking negative about the parents, about another parent in front of the children, because they want to love their parents. They really do. They need to. And they need to. And even though they might have addictive problems and things like that, they don't need another excuse to hate them. They want, they want that relationship and they crave it. And you see this even in divorced situations where the custodial parent will be trashing the non-custodial parent. And I don't think it works out well in the end for the kiddos because they learn to hate the person who is bashing the parent that they want to love. And I just, you can't win. Right. right, But I will say, cause sometimes, sometimes my moms want to hurry up and reunite the grandkids with the parents too soon. Mm -hmm. And so I will caution that because our goal, my goal as I was guardian. And so as guardian, your role is to keep those children safe. Mm-hmm. And if the parents are using, um, they're, they're not in a position to keep that child safe. That's right. Yes, absolutely. So with your training that you've taken, did it require any real investment of money to get this thing going? Um, well, I joined a mastermind this year mm-hmm. just because I wanted to surround myself with people who had passion and wanted to monetize it. And you might think, well, why do you want to monetize? You know, I, I have expenses I have to pay, mm-hmm. but what was getting in my way is I, I don't, it was thinking, oh my goodness, I can't ask anybody for money, but yet what is going to help solve this problem in the world is more money. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make money so that I can then put it back into the places that I choose for addiction recovery, for mental health awareness and those kind of things. So that kind of investment, I, I'm always investing in myself because I want to be a better version of myself. And, and like everybody else, we get stuck and we have blind sides, blind spots, you know. And so when once you're in these groups with other people, 
who are your truth tellers, you find out, you know, just where, just where you can grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The monetization is not a bad thing either, because there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of free advice. You know, it's when, when you're paying for the good stuff and you're putting some skin in the game to get the good material, that's when you benefit from it as well. So I, I, I don't blame you for wanting to to make some money on this and just make it available because it allows you to invest, like you said, into growing a business to provide more services and things like that. Right. You can't do that if you're giving everything away for free. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very good. How did the people closest to you react to your decision that you wanted to go into this kind of lifestyle or business? Well, the, the person who's probably the closest to me would be my husband. And he was, like a lot of husbands at first was, this is a choice. They're always making the stupidest choices. Like he would say that. And so I was like, hmm, yeah, kind of looks like that, doesn't it? I mean, I would think that. And so that's what propelled me into, you know, studying and reading books and, and knowing the difference between choice and disease, right? So once I jumped on that, he did. And he started reading everything I was reading. And so it kind of, his opinion evolved with mine. And so he he is um, so super supportive. He retired like six years ago, so content just to sit there and um, golf or watch his, whatever it is like that he loves to do and not feel motivated to do anything more. He worked so hard for so long that I think he was totally burned out. And so he's become my chief supporter um, in, in every way. But I, th- I would say my, my oldest daughter, I'll have to ask her that question. She supports me, but we don't, she doesn't ever ask me questions mm. about what I do. Okay. And um, I think that she understands like where there's pain, there's purpose. Mm-hmm. But um, our son and daughter-in-law are, no, are were the ones that were so sick. I can sit down and have a total conversation with everything I'm doing. And sometimes they provide advice now because they're, they're so out in the open with everything. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's like, just pinch me. I can't believe this is happening. And so, you know, if I've got um, a, whole, a mom with a homeless child and I have a question, I'll go to my son you know, and say, this mom is struggling with this. What would you say? You know, what would you do? And then some of the other children of the parents of the moms in my group will sometimes come on calls and be interviewed and help moms understand where their children are coming from. So it's a, it's a whole shift, but yes, they're very supportive on what I do. But I also know that my story is different than their story and they're, if they want to be private with what they tell people, um, you know, I, I respect that. So I try not to try not to go deep into their story, but they, I do have permission. I, I, they know that I share this mm-hmm. and they're okay with it. Okay. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity for you to eventually collaborate with them to develop some resources to help people and coming at it from an addictive standpoint as well. Yeah. Not just the moms who are trying to help the kids through addiction, but the, the kids themselves and, you know, how they relate to their family and things like that. It just sounds like a bunch of doors could open up 
here in a variety of different directions for you. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. all of this create any challenges for you? And as you were trying to develop your community and get these books done. Oh, it's so funny because when I first decided I was going to start leading support meetings on Zoom, it was about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. No, it was just pre-COVID. And I said to my older daughter, I am so nervous. I don't know how to do Zoom. Will you Zoom with me? Because I want to make sure that I do it with somebody who knows And I don't want to feel like an idiot because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I cannot tell you how long it took for people to keep telling me, start a membership, start a membership. And I was like, you know, just so nervous about it. It, It's just all your self-limiting beliefs and Mm -hmm. fear of doing something new and comparison, you know, like, am I good enough? What makes me think that I can do this? But here's, here's what really helps, Greg, and I know you know this, is it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, once I got my ego out of it, like, no, I have to do this because people need me. Moms need me. Mm-hmm. And if I keep focused on what they need, then I lose that embarrassment or that comparison or thinking that I'm not enough. I might not be, but Maybe for one person, they need to hear what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And so if I just keep focusing on the other person and not myself, it, it's so much easier. That's a great advice. I mean, for people who are looking or struggling for purpose in their own life to realize who needs them and who can benefit from their experience. Like yeah. you said before, you know, where there's pain, there's purpose. So everybody has had pain. There's something that they've struggled through all of their life. And I mean, the older we get, I mean, we have plenty of stories in our background, right? That, that can be painful and, and situations that we have, uh, you might, might regrets that we might've had or something like that, that we can use to communicate that other people are struggling through the same thing. And through that, that's where you really get your purpose. Yeah. And leave a legacy. Yeah. You know, I, Right. I, I've heard, I don't know if you've ever read John Maxwell's book, Intentional Living, yes. Choosing a Life That Matters. Okay. Well, like, I think it was 2015. I saw him on TV. I didn't know who he was. I'd never read a bunch of leadership books before. And I heard him speaking about it. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want that. I want a life that matters. <gasps> Have I done it? Because as we get older, you're like, is there more? Should I be doing more? What is God? want me to do? Like, what is his will? Like he gave me these gifts. Am I using them in the right way? Like all those thoughts, all those things going through my head. Um, and so I joined the John Maxwell team. And that was one of the things that was like beginning of this journey to learn where I needed to serve. Mm-hmm. Very good. So you're a member of the John Maxwell team as well. And you did that after the age of 60 or, or 50. Well, that was, uh, yeah, yeah, I was about, yeah, I was about 58 or so okay. when I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. So uh, what kind of rewards have you received from all of this? Yeah, right here, right in my heart. Yes. So yeah, I, what I do is if I get a note from somebody that was helped, I keep a file Oh. and I put it in the file so that when I'm feeling like, oh, I hate all this technology or, you know, I'm having a bad day. I can go in there and read it and just 
know that, you know, it gives me fuel to keep going, gives me the energy. But um, I, I just, yeah, I, I think that personal reward is the best. But I have to say, this is such a side note. I reward myself when I work and I love to play pickleball. And so I go out, I make sure that I go out and I play pickleball and I compete. And I just, so like if I'm having, if I've just done this huge project or I've spent a lot of time, I reward myself and I try to play, oh golly, maybe three times a week. Okay. Well, you need to come out here to Sun City, Arizona. They have some world-class pickleball facilities down here, I guess, that, uh, it's yeah. it's all, all the rage over here. And to be honest, I don't know what it is, but people talk about oh. it all the time. So <laughs> okay, so before before this interview ends, you have to promise that you will. Are, are you? Did you ever play pick uh, ping pong? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have hand eye coordination. Are you athletic at all? No, <laughs> hardly ever. Okay. Okay. I never played a sport. Uh -huh. I never played a sport. Yeah. Well, when I was forty, I took up tennis and I tried it, but. Mm -hmm. Anyway, my point is, I'm sure you walk, don't you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you just got to get out there because when you're out there, you forget all your troubles. Right. That's what got me through so many dark times. Because yep. you, have, you have to move. You have to think about the score. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have right. to think about where to place the ball and where your partner is. I mean, there's just so much. Um, and then two hours go by and you're like, oh. Wow, I've been here for two hours. Yeah. That's anyway. neat. And I also love the idea of keeping a file of these notes because there are times when you're going to hit a wall where you don't think yeah. you're making any production or any progress, I mean, and they're, they're one setback after another and you're just not seeing anything happening and you can think, what's yeah. the point? What's You flip open that file and you start reading note after note after note and all of a sudden your purpose is fulfilled yeah. again and reinforced. So yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. If you had to do this over, would you do anything differently? Mm. I think if I, if I had to do the relationship with my son and daughter-in-law over again, I would have researched addiction earlier so that I would have learned how to connect in the right way sooner. Um, I was always so afraid that my granddaughters were going to die, um, you know, in accidents or, you know, accidentally, not because their parents were going to physically harm them, but um, that I was angry a lot. Mm -hmm. And I regret that. But, you know, I had that conversation with my daughter-in-law just last weekend because we had Sunday dinner and, she said, I said, I was angry. She goes, yeah, I know you were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and, you know, she said, yeah, but I tell the girls, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be alive probably. Mm -hmm. oh. So I don't know if that's true. Okay. But I think I, I just wish I could have known how to connect better earlier. Mm -hmm. Okay. As far as your business is concerned, is there anything you would have done differently in that, that regard? Yeah, I would have gotten myself into those meetings sooner. It was like, you little chicken. I was just so afraid to start. So, yeah. But, you know, I think I was so worried of the time element because raising grandkids and starting a business, I mean, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. 
So I guess I, it's easy now to say I should have should have done more sooner. But um, at the time, I think it was all the energy I could expend. Okay. Very good. Is there anything on your adventure list that you would still like to accomplish? Yeah, I still want to empower 1 million moms. I got to write that. (laughs) (laughs) That would do it. Yes. Okay. Oh, very good. So how would you define retirement? Oh my goodness. I'm having a ball. I'm having the time of my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, there is no such thing as retirement for you. You're continuing to go, uh, just because you're finding that purpose. You found your purpose and it's fulfilling. I think I will be, I think I will do something until the day I die. Like I just want to keep learning. There's so much to learn. There's so much to do. This, this kingdom needs so much hope. And I call myself the chief hope builder. It's the name of my business, Chief Hope Builders. And I, I just take it seriously. So um, I want to be somehow a part of uh, continuing to do some, my share in the world. Okay. So. Very good. What advice would you give to people over the age of 50 to help them either identify or pursue their passions? Um, ask, ask God what's holding you back from what you really want to do. And there's, there's no time like the present. And so if, if it's because you don't think you're ready or you don't measure up or you don't have the skills, I'm here to tell you that you have everything you need because God gave you everything you need. And we have YouTube videos (laughs) that can show us how to do anything Mm -hmm. and um, just surround yourself with the people you want to be more like, the people you want to learn from, because that's gold. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate the time. This has been a great story with a lot of great advice, and I wish you the best of luck as you achieve that 1 million goal of uh, helping moms. (laughs) That's so ambitious. I appreciate that. Super. Thanks again. It took a lot of courage for Michelle Wiedenbenner to share her deeply personal story with others. Addiction is a problem that many people don't like to talk about. It's often embarrassing and very painful. But Michelle's story is remarkable because it shows how someone's personal experiences, combined with their natural talent and developed skills, helped to put him or her in a very unique position to help other people. Michelle and her husband wanted to be foster parents, so they took training to become certified. That training helped them several years later in dealing with an adoptive daughter who suffered from detachment syndrome. But it also helped prepare them for the difficulties of raising their grandchildren who were separated from their own parents. The training helped Michelle learn to help parents better communicate with their own children and grandchildren while contending with someone in addiction. She joined a mastermind group just to surround herself with people of similar passion and purpose. However, the members opened Michelle's eyes to ways she could turn her pain into profit, not only to pay for expenses, but to give her money to build an even bigger platform. The experience of having to contend with an addicted child opened Michelle's eyes to the early warning signs about other serious problems addicts must address before they can get treatment for the illness and begin working their way out of a hole they dug. The situation required Michelle to learn new skills, like leading Zoom meetings, and using technology to manage a membership community. 
It's often the fear of doing something new that holds people back, Michelle explained. You might ask yourself, am I good enough? But when Michelle realized it wasn't about her and that other people needed the information and services she offered, then everything changed. Today, she is motivated to take her message to one million other mothers who need empowerment to overcome a similar situation to one Michelle's family endured for several years. I know she has the tenacity to reach that impressive goal, and I wish her the best of luck as she pursues it. To connect with Michelle, visit www.michellewedenbenner.com. All of Michelle's books are available on Amazon.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session for members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. Next week, I'll be speaking with a former tech industry executive who found a renewed sense of purpose after turning 50 by teaching martial arts to adults and children. He also started a business to help seasoned citizens live forever young. I'll have that interview on the next episode of the Passionate Purpose Podcast. Thanks for listening, and if you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.